Hi, my name is Caroline. My name is Natalie. My name is Regine. And this is Me, Us, Us, You. Today's episode will feature three distinct voices talking about issues that are important to them and how each individual has used a passion for those issues to become activists. This is Roots of My Activism. Hi, my name is Caroline Baim, and I'm currently a junior at Susquehanna University, where I major in political science. Today I'm going to focus on where my activism came from, what type of activism I do, and what it means to me. I will never forget where I was the morning after Election Day 2016. I only vaguely remember falling asleep, somewhere between CNN staying optimistic about Hillary's chance and CNN declaring Pennsylvania reporting back red. My alarm went off around 8am, to which I groggily opened my phone and googled the asinine phrase, who is the President of the United States? The answer I got was not the one I had been hoping for. I cried the entire time I was eating breakfast and gathering my things to go to class. The entire world mourned. The gray clouds obscured the sun from view, and the clouds wept for the whole day. I climbed out of bed and began to face a day that seemed insurmountable. I held the door for two other young girls walking on my freshman dorm building. We commiserated about the new presidency and shared how we wish classes could have been canceled so the human race could take a breather after such a heartbreaking loss. I made my way across campus to my 100-level survey course, unaware of what would be there at 8.45. I walked into the class. At first glance, it seemed relatively normal. Most people were in attendance, notebooks were out, people were playing with their phones, waiting for the professor to walk in. I'm not quite sure what I expected from a religion expert, but what came out of my professor's mouth is not exactly what I needed to hear. For those of you who are happy, it's not as good as it seems. And for those of you who are sad, it's not as bad as it seems. At the time, I couldn't wrap my head around the ramifications of a comment this passive. While it seems hopeful for those of us worried about Trump's potential policies, I thought it also could stand as a slippery slope kind of passive bystander behavior during what could potentially become an undemocratic regime characterized by bigotry and hate. At the time, I remained silent. I wish I would have said something. No, not argumentative. I just wish he would have had a little bit more to say than just, it'll be okay in the end. Because to me, it didn't seem like it was going to be okay. I grew up in a relatively homogenous, white, male-driven county of Pennsylvania, where the young men were coddled by their mothers and constantly praised by their fathers. Hold up. Just one second. When I use the terms white male, white men, or white masculinity... I'm not referring to a single person or a group of people, rather a system of oppression in America that grants white, middle-class, cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied men immense amounts of privileges, oftentimes to the disadvantage of women, people of color, persons with disabilities, and members of the LGBTQ community. This system has been dubbed the patriarchy by gender scholars such as Alan G. Johnson and Peggy McIntosh. For the sake of brevity, when you use the term white male or white men, I am referring to this power structure that exists within American society. There was hardly a consequence that any one of them had to face, and as a result of this, most of them grew up into being staunch Republicans or so unbothered by politics that they chose to be civically inactive. 
My greatest grievance in this circumstance is the fact that their male whiteness has allowed them to skirt through life unscathed by the difficulties about a political climate such as that in 2016 could inflict upon people. How pleasant it must be to be so unaffected by politics that you can afford to not care about it. This white male professor of mine stood for the exact kind of passive political thinking that is afforded to those groups of privileged peoples. I tell you all this to help you understand what sparked my interest in political activism. I was lucky enough to be born in a relatively moderate household. My mom was fairly liberal, though my dad, being white male, never felt the pull towards politics. My brothers and I were afforded the chance to make choices for ourselves, a concept I often found lacking in my peers. I spent hours of class time poring over news articles, googling case law, researching pending legislation, and contacting my congressman in an attempt to form my own opinions. I had always been motivated in this way, but nothing left the fire under my butt quite like the rise of Bernie Sanders alongside the rise of Donald Trump. That's when I realized that the roots of my activism were quite literally my roots. Lancaster County, Pennsylvania is incredibly rural, deeply religious, almost consistently red county. People in Lancaster value the nuclear family, going to church every Sunday, gun rights, army enlistment, and free market economics above all. At its face, none of that necessarily seems all that bad. However, its manifestation and the people I grew up with rubbed me the wrong way. To me, these people live lives so focused on structure and tradition that it was preventing them from seeing the benefit and adapting your lifestyle to fit the needs of a modern-day society. This sharp juxtaposition between my views and where I grew up is what sparked my activism. And my activism didn't become fully fleshed out until my freshman year of college alongside the election cycle. I think the first part of my activism probably started as just being more politically engaged. I looked at a lot of CNN and NPR and tried to find viable, incredible news sources to become more knowledgeable about what's going on in the world around me. Naturally, this newfound knowledge led me to form more credible beliefs, and I was able to back up arguments that I started having with people around me. That eventually led to political engagement in classes and then political conversations I would have with my friends. These political conversations with my friends usually resulted in me registering them to vote, which at the time seemed like a small thing, but when you think about voter registration laws, in Pennsylvania in particular, you have to be registered to vote, even just a midterm election, at least a month before the election. So by the time midterms came around, I already knew of a handful of people who had already been registered from the presidential election or shortly thereafter, and they didn't even have to go through the hassle of registering to vote. Another part of my activism is what a lot of people would coin as clicktivism or digital activism. I'm pretty active on Twitter and occasionally on Facebook, though not as much because the demographic is obviously way older than what mine is. But I go on Twitter and I retweet and I tweet things and to some degree, yeah, it's kind of an echo chamber for what I believe in, but I also think it's getting the word out. It's getting my opinions out, it's supporting other people of my ideology, and it's pushing party platform ideas. A lot of people like to be condescending about clicktivism and say it doesn't do anything. And yeah, while there's no materialistic thing I can point to or no causal change I can point to, I still think it's important that there's a handful of people out there that are getting their voices heard and you can hear it. That being said, I haven't done the big activism. I've never been to a speech, I've never been to a rally, I've never been to a protest, and I've never been to a march. Suffice it to say, 
I wish I could have gone to a protest rally or march, but living in central Pennsylvania and being a full-time college student kind of really puts a damper on my desire to participate in a large mass movement like that. So I do what I can. I talk to people. I register them to vote. I'm very active on the internet. And if anybody ever asked me for help volunteering in a campaign, I would gladly say yes. So we come here to this dichotomy between lifestyle activism, which I personally think I exemplify and definitely buy into that more, and big activism, which is protest, rallies, speeches, these big movements that you can go to to support a cause. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Kirk Harris of Susquehanna University the other day, and we kind of parsed out this idea between big activism and lifestyle activism. And I was interested by the conversation because he kind of didn't really think of activism in the same way that I did. He kind of was surprised to hear that I would consider political engagement as a small form of activism. And I think that's where this idea and this dichotomy of lifestyle activism and big activism kind of came from. No, but maybe I should, right? So maybe like what uh, Sarah Silverman is doing with this show, I Love You America, like maybe that's, you know, she's kind of doing that, right? right. Like she's meeting with a whole bunch of different people right. and just talking with them about, uh, about politics and about how it connects to their lives. Um, that's an example of that, that, of that kind of dialogue, right? So maybe we should see that as activism. Um, I don't think traditionally, from a social science perspective, we do. It's certainly not how I, how I think about activism, but, but yeah, maybe, maybe that, that is how we should think about activism. It's like lifestyle activism, right? Right. Political activism is hard in central Pennsylvania, and I'll give you that. But there are things that we can be doing, things that we can be saying, people we can be talking to in order to bridge this partisan divide in our country. Dr. Harris, for one, thinks that maybe collective action is the solution. Politics. Politics is all about collective action. It's all about people coming together to accomplish a, a, a purpose. And so if, if you want to enter with or engage the, the political realm, you need to do that collective action. You need to organize um, people together. Um, otherwise, you are just, you know, shouting into a void. Politics is collective action. Politics is all about people coming together to achieve one single goal. I love that. I don't think Dr. Harris could have said it any better way. And while activism here in central Pennsylvania is not quite what a lot of people would define as activism, I think we can still find small ways to improve our country right here in Central PA. Get out the vote, register your friends, tweet on Twitter, go on Facebook, tell your mom, yell at your racist uncle, hold people accountable, have these conversations, sit down to dinner. And when the time comes for you to stand up for your beliefs, stand up. I am by no means done with my activist journey. I have a lot of work to do and a lot of places I wanna go. That doesn't mean I'll ever stop trying to be a better activist. Hi, my name is Natalie Arm. I'm a junior Spanish and secondary education English double major at Susquehanna, and I am passionate about the issues that run deep in our food industry. Practices are now so thoroughly unsustainable and knowingly irresponsible that there is basically no diet that one can live on and maintain a clear conscience. 
I began reading about these problems and I continue to learn just how politicized the commodities of food have become due to the prioritization of money over morals under capitalism. This all started for me when I became a pescatarian, which I guess was five years ago now, when my greater interest in the corruption of the food industry began to intersect with my opinions about animal welfare. A lot of this has its foundations in our societal norms that no one seems to question. Like, why do we value the lives of some animals over others? Why hug the dog and eat the cow? Maltreatment of animals and the animal agriculture industry aside, I don't think that this prioritization of some animals over others is a valid defense for the questions many people simply fail to ask. I think that a lot of times, people who are passionate about animal rights or the food industry more generally either hold themselves on a smug pedestal or are assumed to be under the pictures of extreme protests from groups like PETA throwing blood at passerbys in public spaces. But it is important to focus on that middle ground group of people too, where I know my diet is not perfect and I recognize that it does not eliminate all types of issues surrounding sustainability or human labor abuse within these industries. The foundation of these problems is so deep where even adopting a vegan diet, which may often seem to be held above other dietary choices, remains imperfect in the fact that it still has issues that result from the deeper corruption of the food industry as a whole. This segment, while touching on different lifestyle choices or topics of the food industry, has a focus that always ties back to these problems as they relate specifically to animal rights and my activism for animal welfare that is such a big part of my passion for these issues. My junior year of high school's American Government and Economic Systems class hit a real sweet spot with the assignment of current event presentations in 2015. In this time, there was constantly updating news cycles covering events approaching the legislation of same-sex marriage and the continued terror coming from ISIS. Our class would sit through PowerPoint after PowerPoint of presentations covering the Keystone XL pipeline, ISIS, and same-sex marriage updates. These were big topics that everyone cared about, and the news was splattered with new news on these topics just about daily. Even for a high schooler who was not passionate or even remotely interested in topics like these, they could easily complete the assignment to its requirement by following that route, and they did. The day came for my first of two current event presentations, and I stood in front of 20 of my peers and gave a presentation on laws to give animals the same rights as humans, and the movement pushing for legislation to this end. A few weeks passed, and it was my turn once again. I walked back up to that same place at the head of the classroom and shared the current events regarding the Ringling Brothers Circus decision to remove animals from their acts. Half of the class might have been sleeping with their head propped so the teacher wouldn't notice, but I was standing there presenting pictures of monetized animal abuse and sharing radical ideas for a 17-year-old that animals should have the same rights as you and me. The terms surrounding topics of animal welfareism may have flown well over the heads of Mr. Hoskins' history class, but I was putting them out into the air. I was speaking my uncommon opinions unapologetically and taking the initiative to change a basic assignment into a form of activism. Animal rights activists and experts alike have so much to contribute to the conversation surrounding issues of animal welfareism and environmental sustainability that is so severely affected by animal industries. The roots of people's activism, even when it comes to the same issues, can vary greatly, and they are all valid ways of coming to the same conclusion to become more active. Expert contributions can be eye-opening and make non-activists reevaluate what they might be able to do to help through their lifestyle choices or simply become more aware of the reality both animals and our earth are facing. Activists and expert voices constitute both sides of what makes people care about animal welfare as it draws the connection between facts and personal experiences. 
I reached out to a couple of friends who have also grown to become activists for animal rights and have changed their lifestyles as a result. Emma and Anastasia both gave me statements that answer questions like why did you become an animal rights activist and how have you grown to become a lifestyle activist for animal rights? I also pulled a couple of segments from the documentary Cowspiracy that can be found on Netflix that have expert opinions and research on the impact of animal lifestyle activism. This variety and combination of voices, both personal and expert, are so deeply important in the fight for placing a greater importance on animal rights, and it is only right to sit down and listen to those voices. By living a vegan lifestyle, I'm an activist for animal rights and an activist for the environment. These issues became important to me when I was 15 years old and was exposed to the cruelty of the meat industry because it was featured in an episode of Oprah. Here, I was exposed to the violent, cruel, inhumane, and unsanitary conditions that were being practiced in meat and dairy farms all over the U.S. For me, this is when I made the connection between what is on my plate and what is sold to me in a grocery store. I stopped eating meat right then and there. Since then, my knowledge on animal agriculture has only grown extensively by watching documentaries and reading books about animal agriculture throughout college. Books like The China Study and The Omnivore's Dilemma altered the way I looked at the food I was eating and the way that food affects my body and the world I live in. Although the cruelty of meat and dairy industry is what sparked my passion for animal rights, today I think the driving force behind sticking with the vegetarian or vegan diet is mostly for the environment. The negative impact that the animal agriculture has on a global climate change is massive and being vegetarian or vegan is one of the best ways to reduce my personal environmental impact. To feed a person on an all-plant-based vegan diet for a year requires just one-sixth of an acre of land. To feed that same person on a vegetarian diet that includes eggs and dairy requires three times as much land. To feed an average U.S. citizen's high-consumption diet of meat, dairy, and eggs requires 18 times as much land. This is because you can produce 37,000 pounds of vegetables on one and a half acres, but only 375 pounds of meat on that same plot of land. A high-consuming meat-eating Californian saves 1.4 tons of CO2 equivalent per year by removing beef from their diet. They save 1.6 tons by going vegetarian and 1.8 tons by going vegan. This is more than switching to solar power for your home or driving a hybrid car. Only switching to an electric vehicle saves more, which still though few can afford. But unlike an electric vehicle, the savings don't end with greenhouse gases. A vegan diet produces half as much CO2 as an American omnivore, uses 1 11th the amount of fossil fuels, 1 13th the amount of water, and an 18th of the amount of land. After adding this all up, I realized I had the choice every single day to save over 1,100 gallons of water, 45 pounds of grain, 30 square feet of forested land, the equivalent of 10 pounds of CO2, and one animal's life every single day. I first went vegan for health reasons, but with the more research I did, the more I found it to be an ethical issue. One of the components of a plant-based lifestyle that really resonated with me is the idea of compassion, particularly for animals and the environment. That's when my plant-based diet became more of a lifestyle. Not only do I largely avoid animal products in my food consumption, but I also try and apply my activism to my everyday life. One of the biggest shifts I noticed was in my hygiene and beauty products. Although it was a learning curve, I decided I needed to implement cruelty-free and vegan vegetarian alternatives because no animal should have to suffer for the sake of vanity. The replacement process was gradual, but nowadays there are so many affordable products on the market to choose from. Some of my favorite brands are Moonrise Creek, Pacifica, Alba Botanica, and The Body Shop. 
I think another important lesson I've learned through veganism is that our food has a huge impact, especially on the environment. Not only is our industrialized food system cruel regarding animal welfare, it is immensely unsustainable. Conventional methods of animal agriculture is a top culprit of emitting greenhouse gases, causing deforestation, consuming vast amounts of water resources, and is also indicative of many other environmental detriments. My activism goal is to not preach about veganism, but to simply lead by a quiet example. It's also really just my hope to spread awareness that there are some pretty awesome alternatives to the saddest quo modality of living. 82% of the world's starving children live in countries where food is fed to animals in the livestock systems that are then killed and eaten by more well-off individuals in developed countries such as the U.S., U.K., and in Europe. The fact of it is that we could feed every human being on the planet today an adequate diet if we did no more than take the, the feed that we are feeding to animals and actually turn it into food for humans. Not that this is necessarily unique to the activism surrounding animal rights, but there are so many avenues that people pursue and that you can follow to support these issues in different ways that are important to you. Some people utilize a vegan diet or stretch the vegan principles to apply to all of the products that they are consumers of in their life. Some may choose to follow any variety of diets, from vegetarian to pescatarian to lacto-vegetarian to ovo-vegetarian, that vary in what restrictions are placed on the food they consume. However, even if someone was raised with meat being a major part of their diet, they may choose to use only cruelty-free products and live by this rule in everything they buy. One may also be a conscious consumer that supports animal rights by not supporting the animal entertainment industry in events like circuses, zoos, or aquariums. Any combination or isolation of these efforts shows a certain level of animal rights lifestyle activism that anyone can choose to live out every day. Not only can you and your lifestyle and your consumer choices serve as a form of activism, but social media can make it really easy to promote your activism to others and make relevant information more readily available. I was in ninth grade and my sister had stopped eating meat a handful of years before. She would occasionally talk about animal rights across the dinner table or mention statistics in related conversations, and this prompted me to look into animal rights issues for myself. I started doing research on my own and looking into issues of animal welfareism, following the same path as my sister and cutting meat out of my diet soon after. This has only developed further as I have been able to delve deeper into the problems that are now found so close to my heart. What spurred this initial action was what I had learned about the practices of the animal agriculture industry. From there, the passion for animal welfare issues spilled over into different aspects and results of the animal rights problem, such as the animal entertainment industry, along with the environmental impact of the animal agriculture industry that is ignored in favor of the capitalistic society we live in. Something within the sphere of animal rights that I struggle with at times is the rigid nature of the labels that people take on and how this makes it discouraging for others to try and be activists. There is a lot of judgment from both activists and non-activists that comes with the stigma around labeling oneself as something such as vegan or vegetarian. I think that while it is admirable to completely dedicate your life to living a certain activist lifestyle, it isn't practical for everyone and not everyone can hold themselves to strict dietary restrictions. If I want to be vegan and I adopt that lifestyle, I can do so and that is truly great. But if one day I really want a hamburger and I come to terms with eating it, that does not take away from the 364 days of the year that I do what I can to support animal rights. While it is counterintuitive and seems hypocritical, 
Who are any of us to judge someone for changing their lifestyle for their beliefs if they can rationalize reverting back every once in a while? That does not change the bigger choices they have made and still makes such a big impact. Ultimately, I think that people do what they can, and we should encourage people to do just that, what they can. Even if not every person in the world went vegan, if they cut small things out of their diet or switched over progressively or switched some of their products to cruelty-free, collectively it would make a difference in the lives of animals and in the effects these industries have on the environment. The judgment placed on people who adopt these labels ultimately discourages people from changing their lifestyles to help the cause, and people would be much more likely to make what small or large differences they can if they could live more flexibly within how they are supporting animal rights. This is Roots About Activism, and we're going to be talking about activism and hip-hop. I'm Ray Jean Tomlin. I'm a senior multimedia journalism major at Susquehanna University, and with me I have... Hello, I am Mark, a biochemistry major with Africana Studies minor in sophomore at Susquehanna University. Okay, so to begin, I'm going to start by asking, when you hear activism and hip-hop, what song or artist comes to mind and why? When I think of activism and hip-hop, I think more of like the NWA from back then in early stages of hip-hop because they were very like direct in their messages with how they felt about like activism and politics. So yeah, they really stood out when it comes to like hip-hop and activism. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of hip-hop and activism, I think of Tupac because I feel like he rapped about what he was passionate about He rapped about social justice issues black people faced during that time. I mean, still face. And he also lived that life. Like, whenever he had an interview, he always said the truth or said what he thought was the truth. And he would always stay true to himself. So I feel like that's really what an activist is, someone who, like, does the work and also lives that lifestyle. I agree. All right, so are artists responsible to use their art or platform to speak on black issues or political issues? I wouldn't say they're necessarily responsible, but they should make it like, I guess, a priority because as a minority with like status or like a voice, you should use that voice as a platform to help your people, especially if like you were once just a regular person yourself and now like your community helped you get to where you are i'm supporting your music you could use your music as an outlet for um, like political matters and things that matter to you yeah i agree i feel that i feel that since black people are like the biggest consumers of like media in general and if you're a black artist i feel like it is kind of your duty to also voice your opinion on certain black issues or political issues that affect black people because you are a person of color and the issues that an ordinary black person would face is something you would also face even if you are at a higher status. So I feel like it is kind of their duty to speak on issues involving people of color. Can you separate the art from the artist? Um, no. I do not think you can separate the art from the artist simply because, like, art is like 
incorporating your life into the form of like of what you want it to be, whether it's music, art, poetry, mm-hmm. have you well, it's a reflection of like you, the most music is at least, but nowadays it's not, I guess, it's more of an exaggeration or like a dissociation from their real life. So it becomes harder to distinct, but normally what people, rappers sing about is things that they either like support or know of or have done. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I feel like I feel like it's gonna be it's hard to separate the art from the artist because even if the artist has done things that you deem like questionable or unright, it's gonna be hard to like consume their music or even if you are like aware of it, it still like lingers when you listen to their content or you know buy their albums because still like providing money and capital to someone that has done something negative in your eyes or just like in society's eyes. So I just feel like you can't necessarily separate the art from the artist. Which artist do you consider problematic? Um, I would definitely consider, like, as of right now, Kanye West to be problematic because of, like, everything that's been happening recently in terms of, like, social media and his appearance in the White House. I guess he's caused all of those problems because, like, he simply has, like, the status to do so, like, as a popular artist in the industry. He can just, like, decide to call a meeting to the White House, which is kind of absurd but you know it kind of brought a lot of questions Mm -hmm. in the community because like he went to say things that would not necessarily support the majority or the entire black community so Mm -hmm. people didn't really like that because he was the one voice that was like that close to the president and most people felt like he didn't use his opportunity the Mm -hmm. right way i also agree with that i see how problematic kind west has been recently with just like the MAGA hats and saying things about slavery and stuff like that. That's very problematic because he's perpetuating, I guess, negative stereotypes and ideologies that white people already like, I guess, encompass in their day-to-day lives. And he's just kind of enforcing that. And that's a double negative because he's black and he's enforcing white rhetoric. It's not good. But I feel like another person that I consider to be problematic would probably be Drake because he is a a biracial um, rapper, but I feel like he's only using his black side to perpetuate his like rap persona and not necessarily doing it in a way to like, I guess, support black people. Um, And I feel that he uses a lot of like, I guess, like black culture to like, well, I feel like he's a culture vulture of one thing. He takes his hand and grabs whatever kind of media is appealing in different cultures and like encompass that in his own music. So that's also not okay. Um, But he's also using his black side to gain capital and not necessarily care about the people in that community. And he only picks um, his black side when it's like convenient for him because he's also, I think he's like Jewish. Yeah, he's Jewish, so like he can use that to like get into white spaces that other rappers who are fully black or like also biracial, but don't look as like light skinned as he does, can't go into those kind of spaces. So how do you feel about artists rebranding themselves as woke? I feel like in like especially these days, it's very I guess difficult because like you said with the whole culture vulture like kind of fashion that media is in now or like artists are in now it's kind of hard to distinguish like whether people are genuine and how they feel about their issues or are they using it just to like gain a status or support from a lot of people for money rather than like their actual support so i don't like it, it's 
it seems like a bad thing mm-hmm. when you do that. Like, if you want to be, I guess, woke, you should just avidly support the issues that you are speaking about rather than just, like, speaking about it because that proves that you're an ally and you actually show commitment to doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also agree with that. I feel like it's one thing to you know like wear a button that says like i'm a feminist or like wear a button that says i care about breast cancer but if you're actually not like going to marches that help benefit people who have breast cancer or you're not like donating money to charities that um are trying to like fund money to people who have breast cancer or like give money to people who I guess need financial assistance with like the whole treatment thing or whatever. You're not living, I guess, the life of like an activist or just someone who's woke because you're only putting on a show that you care, but when it's actually time for you to show your work, you don't have the proof that you actually care or actually have the work to show that you are doing what you say you are in your songs or content. So what artists do you consider woke, quote unquote? Most artists are not using their platform to like support common causes or like mm-hmm. if they are, they're not being at, like displayed enough. Yeah. Like in, rather than like their own, I guess, mm-hmm. controversial issues. Like Six Nine was actually an avid supporter of like education in the the in, um, Dominican Republic mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico, and he was sending money and like books down there to make sure kids was learning. But you know he has like his cases and his controversies mm-hmm. back here, so that gets more attention than that. Yeah. You don't really know like how to support that, I guess, because mm-hmm. again, that's where it becomes like I guess a little vague to decide whether they're woke or not, or like do they just make these choices because of the media? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like an artist that I would consider woke, I guess, would be J Cole, because I feel like he he raps about like the black experience and his own experience and he also kind of lives that life like he goes back to his hometown and like does like free concerts or like gives money to the kids at school and stuff like that so i feel like he's someone i would consider like actively aware of the injustice that black americans face and he's actually trying to do the work to like help his hometown get better so how do you feel about cancel culture well, do you want to define, do you know what cancel culture is? I do. Do you want um, to define it? I guess I would define it as this new trend where a group of people, like, discontinue their support for an artist or company based off of their actions. Mm-hmm. But my problem with cancel culture is, like, consistency. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah. I don't believe that people are actually consistent with who or what they cancel. Mm-hmm. Like, they just say it in the moment just to be on the, the majority side of the media rather than, like, making choices for their actual self. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, like, you would see an issue about, like, one of your favorite artists and you'd be like, oh, wow, I shouldn't support his music anymore. But then his album comes out next week and you definitely buying it so it's just consistency again where like people are not actually being canceled like Kanye West another example he was supposed to be canceled by a lot of the people but his album sold numbers mm-hmm. so it doesn't make sense how that happened you know like if people are saying that they're canceling him but then talking about how good his songs are it doesn't match up yeah and people are still buying his like fashion yeah his, his clothes sneakers. his shoes mm-hmm. I do agree with what you said like consistency like people say it in the moment to I guess like hop on the wave that like they're against a certain artist when clearly they're probably gonna go listen to their album when it comes out. I feel like cancel culture would be successful if it's more of a collective thing, but since it's just like some individuals, some individuals have canceled, not really. 
it's just like something that sounds good but wouldn't actually work i guess because i feel like no one's gonna stay true to it so it's just an idea that no one really puts action to right. how should we show an artist that some of their statements are problematic how should we show them that or just like how do you think we could i guess communicate that i feel like a lot of artists pay like a lot of attention to social media these days mm -hmm. so just like a collective group of people like talking about how problematic what they did would eventually reach them because mm -hmm. like it's a talked about like it's talked about now so like yeah it's going to be trending and about them they'll see it and i think that that should help because that in the eyes of like businesses and celebrities is like money like you're losing money mm -hmm. so when you see that you make the choice now to be like okay i should do something about this like the whole um trending issue with drake with the baby and stuff <laughs> he had to post like a note from his his iphone mm -hmm. on his um story or his instagram because people needed that closure i guess because he saw that he was losing money yeah from that yeah. so he had to address it as quickly as possible mm -hmm. i agree i feel like i guess like a collective voice against the artists would impact them because i feel like people are on twitter all the time they're on instagram those are like the two four big like media powerhouses that i guess um celebrities are on so if you if like a collective people are like tweeting or like making instagram posts and hashtags about i don't know cancel r kelly because he peeing on people and stuff like that like i just feel like it will have to be a collective thing in order for like artists to see it because if like one person talking about it they like that's just one person i don't really care so i feel like it's gonna have to be a collective work in order to show artists that they need to either apologize or like make a statement about whatever issue everyone's talking about so that it doesn't hurt their capital do you consider yourself an activist i would say so i guess in terms of this campus because mm -hmm. i at least try in the positions that i hope make people aware of problems on campus off of campus and just like a worldwide issue than just be complacent with how it is. Like, I am a student ambassador, so when I see minority groups who want tours and they ask me the tough questions, I make sure that I answer them as well as I can. Mm -hmm. To give them honest answers because I wouldn't want to have a parent send their child to a place they don't feel safe in. And that's a very important part of going to college. Mm -hmm. I feel like I will consider myself an activist, like you said, on campus. I mean, as an adult, well, I'm not necessarily like a full adult yet, even though I guess I'm 21, I guess I'm an adult, but I feel like I'm not at the same place as like, I don't know, like an Angela Davis or just like other, the other women of color or black women that are like out there on the fields, like marching and fighting for black rights. Like I'm not on that level yet, so I wouldn't consider myself like an activist on like a national level, but I feel like on a college level, yeah, because I feel like I try to do a lot to empower other black people on campus and other people of color on campus so that they can feel more comfortable on the campus. Since this campus is predominantly white and it's probably not always the most welcoming environment, I feel like it's important as like an upperclassman to like always help the underclassmen that are like persons of color empowered and like motivated to stay the whole four years on this campus because it can be hard not having a strong group of people to like keep you afloat 
So I feel like I would consider myself an activist on the campus level. So what do you define an activist as? Define an activist as someone who is constantly trying to achieve a goal or make something public knowledge mm -hmm. or something of that sort. Like they're fighting for a cause because they feel like they need to. It's an important thing to them mm -hmm. for you know the people around them. So they will actively, like in the word activist, like do that. And whether it be through communication, art, protests, etc. Yeah, I agree. I feel like an activist is someone who strives to like improve the lives of their community. So, and I also feel like to be an activist, you also have to like be on the field, like actively fighting for something you believe in, fighting against injustice that people of color face on a daily basis. And just like living, I guess, the best black life you can, like supporting black businesses and um, giving back to communities, just knowing your history, understanding yourself and your identity is what well, I feel like is important to be an activist. I'm Regine, this is Mo, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace. One thing that we all have in common is that we consider ourselves activists in fields that matter to us, despite each field being different. Activism has no walls, it can be intersectional. It brings people together through collective actions that are all tied to a singular goal positive change. We all have a desire to change the circumstances that we see as problematic in the world today. And though each of us have varying passions in this regard, we're all meshed together by an ideal, a hope, a dream, that one day we will affect change. Activism of all types does not exist in a vacuum within a single person or their actions. In all of the activism I now find myself involved with, I was brought to that place through the effects of others' activism. This has been manifested through interpersonal interactions, witnessing others' activism, and reading activists' writing. In this way, every act of activism plants seeds of activism to grow roots elsewhere. It can change, expand, and create activism wherever there may be potential for it. Activism is necessary for community engagement and change. Without activism, there would be no solution, no thought, or justice. This is why activism matters to us. Additional sound bites provided by Cowspiracy, a documentary. Sound effects provided by freesoundeffects.org. Music provided by David Hillowitz with his song, Angle of Light, and Ketza, Three of Us. Additional thanks to Dr. Kirk Harris, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Susquehanna University, for his words and wisdom. Thanks for listening.